You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt, director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now. I'm Langston Khan, a senior teacher of the Cycle Teachings and your host for this week's episode. This is our final series in the Cycle of Transformation series. And so we'll start out with some prayer. We call out to your ancestors and to mine. We call out to those ancestors who lived well and died well those who hold all that is good and true and beautiful in our lines, those luminous ones who worked hard to bring out the medicine of their time and to meet its needs just so that we could be dreamed into existence and meet the needs of our time and our communities. We call out to those non-human ancestors that dreamed ours into existence, the plants and animals and spirits of the land, please help us to surrender to our own true nature. We give gratitude to the earth and the great wonder of its dreaming. And we extend that gratitude down deep into the center of the earth, to that place where things that draw their power from darkness live and stillness and silence From that place, we give gratitude for and we draw up that energy of rest and restoration and of nourishment and replenishment. We draw up stillness. We draw up all the wisdom of manifestation. We bring it into our heart. We also draw up the energies of home and belonging, belonging to our ancestors. This particular time we chose to come here in into this larger human family that we're all part of. Let us also draw up a deep sense of responsibility. Let the earth teach us how to step into true spiritual adulthood so we can stop allowing children to be born without elders. From that place of rootedness in the earth, we draw up to the highest power of the universe, And we draw down from that place the energies of the above, purification, protection, blessing, generosity, beneficence, innocence, inspiration. And we just feel those energies infusing us and we give gratitude for them. And as these two big lovers come together within us, the heavens and the earth, the above and the below, We take a moment just to remember that every moment is an opportunity for us to move as an expression of their love. And as these two energies move within our heart, they give birth to the unique energy of why we are here. And we all have what we need to share our love with the world 
in the form of the unique gifts of our soul's purpose, so that the ones who are coming will be able to build upon the gifts we have shared and share their own beauty with the world. And as we move our gifts into the world, then we stay in right relationship with all of the archetypal teachers required to be a human being on this earth and move through cycles of transformation. We have the courage to bring our full, courageous, wild hearts online in service to all life. So the cycle of transformation is technically a four-year process, but there's an extra bonus year at the end of the process that's not necessarily a full year but it's a process that you can choose to engage in which allows you to tackle the project of dismantling the false self you created as a child to survive so throughout the four years of the cycle teachings where learning to work with life as a teacher and clearing a lot of our family origin stories as we've talked about in the past four episodes where learning to deeply engage our shadow selves and transform them into true allies that they're meant to be through love and bring them online and embodiment in our life where learning to dismantle all stories except i am one with all things as we interrogate our stories about masculinity and femininity and other isms like racism and sexism. And we're also learning to deeply heal our ancestors so we can allow ourselves to embody their medicine and their gifts rather than their burdens and their false beliefs. And we're learning to vision in a way, a life that truly can serve the next seven generations and not just our own Um, purpose or just our own master narrative of our culture that it wants us to be visioning. We're learning to truly center the vision of our life in our authenticity and our unique purpose. Now, as we are working to do all that, we're punching big holes, essentially, in our false self mechanism. And so just to describe a little more about what the false self is, is that it's, it's not just like what some people might call the ego or the personality we identify with. It's an entire person that was constructed to make certain that we fit in, get along with people, you know, keep the peace, keep harmony, survive physically, and do nothing that scares us. And we feed this false self by editing our thoughts, rehearsing our emotions, performing what we think people want to see, or hiding our true selves. We feed the false self system whenever we are unwilling to tell the truth, say what is so, or give voice to what we see. So in other words, the false self is constantly moving us away from our authenticity. The false self is normalizing daily self-betrayal in patterns of denial or indulgence. And the art of the false self is the art of self-abandonment. And the false self's mastery is the art of self-abandonment without your ever noticing it while you argue righteously for your right to do it. And so as we're doing all this great work to move towards our authenticity, the false self is designed essentially to stop us from doing that. 
So the more we try to step into our purpose and our authenticity, the more the false self gets a little scared and starts trying to actively avoid us doing that and bringing up resistance to doing that. So all the tools we're learning in these four years is centered around moving past that resistance and continuing to transform. But eventually we reach a place where we've done a huge amount of great transformation work and now we just have to really tackle the thing itself that's beneath the surface, sort of trying to use these other tools like our shadows and our unresolved ancestors and our family of origin patterns and our false stories to stop us and get us to abandon ourselves. And so now we just have to really look at that pattern and see what is that mechanism that we constructed to survive that keeps us from our authenticity and how can we dismantle it? So the purpose of dismantling the false self in this optional year is to work with the inner archetypes that we've learned and become intimate with throughout the four years and the crazy logic teachers, the, those um, sort of shortcut versions of the archetypes that let us take the greater risks to, to do the transformation faster and more deeply um, in a way that clarifies the ways that we continue to live in the shadows of those archetypes so that we can truly free up all of our energy that's locked in these patterns of self-abandonment for our authenticity and our purpose. And so I have here with me two students of psychopathy. Um, one of them is Kato Kelly and one of them is Masha Sanders. And so we're going to be speaking with them today about how the, how what their experience was like as they engaged in this process and how it changed their lives. So welcome, Kate and Masha. Thank you, Langston. This is Masha. And so I would love to start out by asking you maybe, Masha, what made you decide to enter the cycle teachings in the first place? way back when. Yes, it was way back when. <laughs> um, it was a long time ago. And I happened to take a, uh, a little course that was offered at one of our local bookstores that Christina was teaching called Healing the Ancestors. And as I listened to what Christina had to say, I knew intuitively that this was my path. And that the majority of my issues and things that I've been working on for many years with other systems uh, were rooted in ancestral issues. And uh, right then and there, I signed up. <laughs> and I just took it, no, I, I just took on the, the whole cycle, knowing that at the end of the cycle, I could heal my ancestors. And so I just jumped right in. Oh, th thank you, Masha. Yeah, that's fascinating. So your your pull towards the teachings was essentially rooted in your deep longing to heal your ancestral lines. And I, I guess I'm curious, once you reached year four, where you worked on that ancestral healing, and then we're moving into dismantling, did you have any expectations or fears as you as you entered into that process? Well, it's interesting you ask about fears. Um, I've taken, uh, gone through the cycle twice. 
every every um, every opportunity I've done twice. And what I noted was as I entered the second time through, was that fear of what was going to happen was gone. But the the first time that I went into dismantling, it was like every other retreat I'd gone to of not knowing what was coming and uh, a fair amount of fear of the unknown. Um, so that carried through the whole first cycle that I participated in. And uh, by the time I got to the second opportunity to dismantle, I was no longer afraid. I was, I had power and I had confidence and I had my archetypes and I had all my helping spirits and my ancestral helping spirits with me. And I knew that the universe was there to guide me. Mm. Beautiful. Thank you. And so Kate, I'd love to also hear what brought you to the cycle teachings originally. I was brought here somewhat similarly to Masha, but through a friend I had moved to Portland and had done some shamanic work in Seattle where I was before. And when I moved down here, a friend of mine had taken an ancestral class from Christina. And so she recommended that I check her out. And I was down here and had gone through um, a big life change with the move. And then um, after that had a relationship end. And so I was sort of desperate to have something to ground me because I was in a new, relatively new city and um, a bit alone and looking for um, some support essentially. And so I landed in a class that Christina was teaching at the time that was in some ways a distillation of the cycle teachings um, that was called Becoming a Person of Power. And it was a a monthly class that we did. I believe it was for a period of nine months to do some introductory work around some of these concepts that we do in the cycle in much more depth. And I took that and was pretty as well kind of hooked just in terms of feeling like it was something that felt really real and meaningful uh, and centering just from the get-go. So then the, you know, I found out about the cycle teachings through that. <laughs> Unlike what Masha said, I felt like I, I stepped in leery of a commitment to the whole four years. I thought I'm just going to take it one step at a time, even though, you know, I said I was committing <laughs> and I wasn't so sure about it because uh, I didn't really know what I was getting myself into, but it just carried me you know, step by step, it carried me along and um, was engaging. And I saw my life changing around me in a way that there was sort of no way I was going to stop <laughs> before we made it through all the pieces, including the dismantling process. Excellent. Yes, that momentum just swept you up as you started the teachings. Um, I'm, I'm curious if you had any expectations about what your false self might be like or what a false self even was um, that as you were going into dismantling? I think that I had 
some sense by that point, in large part through the clearing process, because I had been doing the clearing process for years at that point. And so I had a sense of, I had come to this place where I started to recognize that the very things that I found in my head that I was saying, that'll never change. That's just who I am. But yet they were the things that I felt sort of downtrodden about um, mm. that I started to have a sense of like, that was my, that was my cue that actually that was probably um, a, a mechanism of the false self. And so for me, I think on some level I did, I don't know that I had a, a very specific sense of exactly what my false self, how it was activated, except for the fact that I did have a sense that, I was way up in my head and that my, the way that I was using my, my mind and was taking me essentially offline. And so I knew that that was a piece of it. Interesting. And so I'm interested for, from both of you to hear about just what your actual experience at the retreat was like when you went. And so maybe we can start with Masha. Well, since I have two of these to re reflect on, um, I would have to say that my experience of going through the dismantling uh, retreat the first time was um, uh, it, it felt like an arts and crafts opportunity. Um, and uh, there was a lot of journeying and a lot of uh, introspection but the end result was to create a physical representation of the false self. And um, I got sort of wrapped up in that and creating a uh, like a Rube Goldberg kind of situation that one thing would lead to another, would lead to another, would lead to another. And um, I was really excited about this creation. Um, but the, the experience, I was surrounded by people who I had known now for a number of years. I trusted. Um, the, uh, the fear level was way down. I, I have to say that I came into that retreat with uh, some expectations of what my false self held. And those expectations were not, were part of the false self. And so um, even though I did did all the journeys and did all the work, there was a filter that still did not allow me to truly access um, what needed to be acknowledged and worked with at that time. Um, so as I approached the second time through, I came to it with a much more um, open and curious uh, approach and uh, was shown a whole nother level um, of, of knowledge, I guess, um, and what needed to be dealt with. And um, the, when I got to the core of what was this false self was holding, it rang so true in my whole body that uh, I was pretty overwhelmed um, and sat there and and went, whoa, okay, uh, okay, 
this is my task. And it became a, um, a sort of a, a challenge. And um, I recruited all my skills and I recruited all my, you know, my, my spirit guides and my, my inner archetypes. And everybody was there with me. And we took on this, this new false self, or not new, but the core of the false self um, in a much more energetic and determined way and much less um, pretty and, and much more gritty. And, uh, and, and I dove into it at that point. Beautiful. I love that. Less pretty, more gritty. <laughs> yeah. um, it's interesting what you say about, you emphasize a few times about all of the help you had with you. And I think that's something I didn't quite emphasize over the course of the four years. It's not just all the stuff we're getting rid of and dealing with, but also the deep, true allies that are coming online and that we're learning to trust through our intimate engagement with them over the course of the four years, whether that be helping spirits, ancestor helping spirits, the archetypes, like you were saying, even elements and spirits of the land, really coming into relationship with us in a way that we, we trust them and we trust the guidance they're receiving from them by the time we get to that dismantling year. And I think it's also really fascinating how you share, Masha, that your expectations about what your false self, or self was was actually part of the false self. Um, and I think that just really illustrates how insidious the false self is, that it's just as smart as we are. It has access to all of the parts of ourself that we haven't quite, quite integrated yet, that we haven't quite brought into acceptance, consciousness, and present time. And so the only things that we can do, do that the false self can't do are to be clever, to be vulnerable, and to take risks. Everything else, all our intelligence, all of our skills, the false self also has access to and can hijack. So I really appreciate you sharing that That the help that was needed to be clever, in a sense. So, Kate, I would, I would love to hear your experience as well. I'm sort of chuckling because there was a bit of a theme for me over the course of the years of this feeling of, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just going to show up. <laughs> it doesn't really make a lot of sense. And then over time, I figured out that it would it would unfold and I, it would make sense eventually. And I that sort of happened to me as well at this retreat. By this point, I was way more trusting in the process. So that helped. But uh, my experience at the retreat that I remember was kind of twofold. One was that there was a piece that of uh, of diving into the work at the retreat that was sort of quietly affirming <laughs> that in, in terms of as things started to present themselves as, you know, glimpses of what the authentic self was that was trying to come forward as well as the false self mechanism, it was a little bit of a sense of kind of relief because both on both sides they were things that I felt of course at a deep level that I read I, I knew and I understood um, and and so there was this sense of 
of relief, but it also wasn't, to some degree, it wasn't like a, a big, huge, like hit on the head, like, oh, that's what it is. It was just like, oh, right, <laughs> that's what it is. And, um, and so it was just sort of this, uh, like confirmation and then this feeling of, okay, good. Now we're on to the next, you know, what do we do with this and, and what do we, how do we move forward? Uh, so that was one, one piece of it. And then, you know, I think the other piece of it was that for me, one of the things that I learned throughout the whole process that is core to my false self and then, you know, my authentic self as well on the flip side was that I, what happened for me in the retreat was that I got additional pieces through our journey that we did and, and the other work that we were doing, like Masha was saying with the crafting and um, ritual work was I got an additional felt sense of how my false self was operating. And so for me, I walked away with the, that feeling, but but didn't necessarily understand what it was until the months that followed the retreat itself where I could really live with it and work with it and then come to understand what it was. And that was kind of happened to me throughout the whole cycle. Um, so for me, it, it, there wasn't as much clarity, um, but I, I definitely had a stronger sense of things through the retreat that then I was able to work with after I left. Thank you, Kate. And I wonder, actually, if that might be a good transition to talk a little bit just about um, maybe one or more of the, the patterns that you noticed arising as you were engaging your process and how your life changed as a result of really being able to see and use the tools of the cycle to, to transform that pattern. Yeah, that felt sense piece for me was one of the biggest pieces that came out in terms of personal transformation. And and it also connects with that, you know, kind of right use of the mind that I was referring to earlier uh, in that I, you know, one of my patterns was many levels of how I was not in my body and I, what I've learned about myself from the dismantling process is that, you know, I think my primary sense of things and the way that I understand things in the world is through my felt sense. And so not being grounded and not being able to draw in, you know, the energies from below and above that I, that I, that we all need like fundamentally not really being able to do that because I wasn't totally in my body um, was a problem. <laughs> I mean, it's a problem for anyone, but it's a problem for me because then I wasn't able to experience the world the way that I do need to experience it in order to understand it. And so instead I had my head running trying to figure things out. And so the the process of the cycle and all the ways that we all the varying activities that we do to get at things in a different way, like dancing, like crafting, like the ritual work and working with the elements um, was hugely important for me because it 
gave me the felt experience that then reminded me of what that means to me that then able allowed me to be more grounded that then eventually allowed me to do the healings that I needed to do that were in the way so that I really could be, you know, kind of reconnected and, and more in my body and then living more in my body and in my heart as opposed to just up in my head and out of my my body. So that was a really big piece for me. Well, wow, that's fascinating. So the, the strong, your strongest sense, it's really necessary for you in particular to bring your unique genius in the world was in a sense what your false self was keeping you from. So you needed to dismantle, to really be able to feel into this felt sense in your body that was part of your greatest gift of, of how you perceive the world. I love that. Thank you. Um, and Masha, I would love to hear from you as well. If there is any pattern you'd like to share um, that came up during your dismantling process and, and what it was like once you had transformed it. Well, the, the main pattern that that came forward was um, uh, whether it's kind of a twofold thing. One, that uh, there was always somebody who really knew what was going on and I just had to rely on that person, but I had to find that person. Mm -hmm. And two, was that there really was no one uh, steering my ship, so to speak. Um, And uh, they they go together because I'm waiting for someone to show up. And when I recognized that and started to work with that, uh, at first it was very startling because I always felt um, I was uh, determined and guided and I knew what I was doing. But again, just much like Kate, I was in my head. And um, this struggle to uh, make things work um, didn't come from my heart and didn't come from my soul. It came from my head. And uh, that was uh, leaving me uh, completely uh, lost and uh, wandering. And uh, the same image of, uh, you know, this ship out on the ocean with nobody steering. Um, And so once I started taking hold of that and working with that, and working with the parts that led up to that and, and chipping away at this whole false self mechanism, um, I began to recognize that I had power and that uh, all I needed to do was step into my power and to be there and hold it. And through intuition and my felt sense and the guidance from all around me, I knew what needed to be done, and it did. There was no right way, but there was a way that would help me get through whatever I found myself in, um, whatever chaos there might have been. And um, the biggest—not uh, exactly metaphor, but the biggest thing that happened in that period of of months between the false self uh, retreat and the actual completion was I had um, a shoulder replacement surgery. And why that was so important was I'd suffered for years, maybe close to 10 years, with uh, dramatic shoulder pain and dysfunction and reduced function. And um, I had to make a choice. 
of was I going to take charge and make a big change and deal with that change and have to deal with the repercussions of that change? Or was I going to continue to try and make do with what was? And I chose to make the change, to take the action and to do the rehab and to, to dive into it. And it, it's, a, it's sort of a metaphor for my whole dismantling because it, I'd already dismantled my shoulder, but I was putting in a new shoulder and I was learning to live with it. And, <laughs> and, and so it was this beautiful, it became a beautiful metaphor. And at the end, I came out on the other side with um, a strong sense, I don't need this false self. I am present and I am here and I am ready to whatever comes, I can handle it. So I that's, that. yeah. So that was a big, huge part of the whole thing. Yeah, thank you for sharing that story, Masha. Um, yeah, fascinating how both of your stories have so much to do with being identified with the mind. I just feel like that's, you know, the one of the biggest contributors to our false selves, maybe our collective false self as contemporary Western people, that privileging the knowledge of the mind or the ways of knowing of the mind over all of our other many senses and ways of engaging and experiencing the world and the ways that when we aren't able to step out of that identification, we just get so stuck in these patterns of self-abandonment. Um, and I love the the metaphor of the shoulder replacement, that it, it's not just about the dismantling process, the, the getting rid of the false self, quote unquote, but also that stepping in more and more to our authenticity and learning to work it and use it like any other muscle um, that just takes time. And yes, yeah, it's, it's a really beautiful uh, illustration of that process. Something that came to mind for me is in my, in my own process, um, seeing my false self mechanism, it was kind of like a series of machines that used the energy of my creativity to do other things and be creative and then create new things in the world. Uh, so it was, it was very much like, like if the creativity was sort of like the resource in the center, like oil or something like that, there was like the denial of creativity on top of it. There was like a pattern of, you know, using huge amounts of resources and time and energy in ways that weren't in service of my own vision. Um, there are patterns of codependency there. There were patterns of avoidance and control that would kind of like play catch with me whenever I tried to enter into that space of creativity. And so for me, as I engaged with my false self and dismantled each of those pieces, there became more and more of my creativity available for me to access as it stopped being siphoned off into these other mechanisms of survival that I constructed. And, but then I still had to learn how do I enter into that space and really claim that territory and move it into my life. It wasn't just enough to free up the energy because when we free up energy, if we're not actively putting it into expressions of our authenticity, then our false self just kind of reuses that same energy to recreate new versions of the same old patterns. Because ultimately the false self is an excellent adapter. It can't create truly new things, but it can adapt 
to many situations to create the same old patterns in your life, just slightly different versions of them. Um, so I really appreciate in, in your story, in both of your stories, the way you illustrated that, that process of not just dismantling, but also moving deeper into your authenticity. Kate was sharing moving into the deep felt sense of your body and engaging that in every aspect of your life. And Masha sharing moving deeply into a sense of presence in your life, an ability to show up without fear, looking for the other person who really knew what was going on. So thank you both for sharing that. I would love to also just hear how your relationship changed with your understanding of and energy of your soul's purpose as you moved through dismantling and in the years afterwards. Maybe we can start with you, Kate. I think that what I'd say about that is that it, it goes back to that whole concept that the vehicle for your soul's purpose is different than your soul's purpose. <laughs> and <clears throat> for me, I think the dismantling process ha- and the, the whole cycle, but getting to the dismantling process has just brought me to a place where I'm, I'm more able to ask that question and, and which is, you know, what is the, the vehicle that I'm, I'm wanting at this moment to utilize, to express my soul's purpose, but also understanding that soul's purpose is not just your your uh, job, your nine to five job that you're doing, which is definitely how I was thinking about it, I think, before completing the cycle. And so I, it opened me up to being able to ask the question about, you know, do I really want to be doing X, Y, or Z in my life and not just solely focusing on what I was doing in my professional life, but what I was doing, what I am doing in other aspects of my life as well. And considering how I'm bringing that, that energy into all aspects of my life. And then also looking at the balance of all of it, because I've been so focused my whole adult life on the career side and what I'm doing and making sure that it's sort of the right thing and it's meaningful. Um, But, you know, kind of coming to understand that (laughs) that energy moves in, in us wherever we are. Uh, And so it's helped me, I think, look at things differently and be more willing to, to uh, say, you know, I, over the process of the cycle, I also, lost my job and started a couple new ones <laughs> over the years that I think were more more and more in alignment with what I wanted to be doing while also saying no to some things so that I could be doing other things in my life aside from just working. <laughs> Thank you. I'd love to hear from you as well, Masha. Well, what I... Again, I'm in, in a different stage of life than Kate. I'm a bit older, and um, you know, I'm no longer uh, employed and um, trying to to make my mark on the world in in a uh, you know job kind of situation. But what I did discover was that um, 
the work that I had chosen and my whole general approach to life uh, was definitely as a teacher. And um, in, a, in a deeper way to bring forth life and to nurture um, others uh, in their own explorations. And uh, as I went through this dis- second dismantling process and came to a deeper uh, understanding and acceptance and knowing of who I am, um, I relaxed a lot. And it, it, I lost the urgency and uh, the need for everything to be perfect and uh, the need for it to be uh, now, and uh, all of those things. And I could, I learned to be able to step back and, uh, and allow the processes, whatever they were, to open and unfold, and to, um, to listen and wait for guidance, as opposed to diving in thinking I knew what to do. Now, that isn't to say I don't still do that, but I become... It's more easy. It's easier for me to become aware of when I'm diving in with an expectation that I have to do something a certain way, and um, so my my acceptance of this and my openness to uh, stepping back and letting things happen is um, is really the gift, and uh, it's taken away a lot of the the stress that I imposed upon myself. Um, and has helped me to accept and cherish the the use of my gifts in my lifetime, and uh, to recognize that that they've been there and um, that they evolve and and come forward when needed. And uh, it's kind of given me a better sense of um, a peace uh, within and uh, an ability just to see what's there and to to take my turn as opposed to feeling I'm in charge or have to be in charge in a, a non-real way. Thank you, Masha. And part of both of your sharing also brings me to ask, what was the role of community in your dismantling process? Maybe you can start, Kate. The, the community aspect... <laughs> Part of me wants to say it was sort of everything in the process. I There were, for one thing, the container that is held by doing this work in a community just allows for the work to be so much deeper. And on a, just on a like day-to-day level, I would experience, you know, I experienced that from trying to maybe do clearing process on my own versus trying to do it within the context of our calls that we do where there's a group of us coming together. Um, Journey, the quality of my journeys when I'm alone versus when I am at the retreat in the, in community. So, I mean, just the container that's held, you can, I really felt a huge support there. And then there was, just the support of the individuals along the way, not only just because I met a lot of fabulous individuals like the two of you, but, but that I was able to see you learn so much from witnessing 
each other's process. And there's a lot that's mirrored back to you. There's insights um, about how to try things differently. And then there's also just the comfort and normalization of the things that get hard. And so I, again, really value the community. And that was another thing that stepping into the cycle teachings at the beginning, I wasn't sure I was so keen on. Um, And I just thought, you know, well, I'll, I'll test that part out and I'll, I'll participate to some degree, but I don't know that I'm going to really fully immerse myself in the community. Um, And that certainly changed for me roughly midway when I started doing council work within our community, which was incredibly meaningful and supportive of my process. And so, um, you know, the community gives you an opportunity to put into practice, really put into practice the teachings themselves and live them and get to, and get to practice what that feels like uh, to live them with other people. So that's been incredibly meaningful to me. Thank you, Kate. Well, I, I would like to reiterate that um, what Kate has said, that working alone and working in community is uh, vastly different. And uh, when I first began working in the cycle, it was before we had a community. And I have a really good sense of how different that was. Uh, working on my own, there was nobody there to, uh, to say, hey, wait a minute. Uh, you said this other thing before, and, and now you're doing this. And I've heard you say this 20 times before. It's never happened. There was, <laughs> no one, there was nobody there to um, not exactly... Uh, you know, to point out my inconsistencies. There was nobody there to monitor or to follow my process and to hold it in a loving way. Um, And so I was able to lie to myself a great deal. And then when I started working with the councils, which began before the community, essentially, um, again, we came in with our Western expectations of, well, I'm on a committee now. And so this is how a committee goes and this there's somebody in charge and and we're assigned tasks and we do this. And, you know, it was it's not like that. Our, our community councils are really not like that. Um, but the learning process was dramatic. And um, when we started really doing um, deep clearing calls and and working together um, and getting past the expectations and. I have to say that I have training as a, as a psychologist, and so I approached these clearing calls initially as a therapist, working with everybody else, but I was never going to reveal my own stuff, um, and which, of course, is counterintuitive, uh, counterproductive. But um, I, to watch my evolution through this is dramatic and, and uh, exciting, because once I got it, that this isn't about a way to do it. It's about what's bubbling up and uh, that there's a group here. There's a container lovingly holding your process, whatever it is. Wow. It made a dramatic difference. And, and knowing that I had a group of people who were going through this with me, that um, I could share various deta- intimate details of what was happening for me. And they were lovingly accepting it without any judgment. 
and able to relate to it and able to hold me as I work through my various challenges. Um, it's unbelievable. And I, I actually so encourage people to, to join this concept because there's nothing like it out there that I've ever found where you can truly be yourself, your grumpy self, your happy self, your miserable self, whatever it is, and people are there to accept you. And not to accept you wallowing, but to accept that, okay, now what? And what are you going to do about it? And, um, and to call you on those times when you are wallowing or you are, you know, just uh, continuing to repeat and um, enabling you to, to break through all that mist and muck and garbage that you find yourself in to find a path through it to the other side. And without community, I, I don't believe this could happen. Thank you, Masha. You articulated that really beautifully. Um, yeah, that just makes me think I, I really don't believe I could have dismantled alone. I know I couldn't have dismantled alone. And when I say alone, I don't, I'm not even just talking about our group at the cohort, because that was really beautiful in and of itself, that there were so many times in my process where there were blind spots I was coming up against that my cohort really needed to just, you know, when we were at a meal or something, say, Langston, look, this is this is the pattern. I know you can't see it, but this is the pattern that's going on right now, and you're continuing to engage in it. So how can we support you in making a new choice? Um, and there was, there was a number of, of times that happened that I just could not see what truly needed to change until the people that had been transforming alongside me that I deeply trusted because I knew them for four years and had watched them do their own beautiful transformational work, had to tell me what I couldn't see myself. And then beyond, beyond that beautiful expression of community in our smaller cohort, the larger container of community that Masha was talking about in terms of serving on a council, I think that was also deeply necessary for my process because Serving on a council, you're working with people weekly, sometimes, you know, multiple times a week um, just to, to get actual things done in your community and in the world. And as you're doing that, you're trying to do it in alignment with your authenticity and your purpose in a way that's, that's honoring of your own true nature and your own unique genius. And you have people surrounding you that are okay with you trying to do that and failing sometimes. They, they see what you're trying to do and they support you getting there as best they can. And you're not going to be like, you know, fired or something because you messed something up or, or because you are vulnerable in a moment when someone else thinks that's inappropriate. Like there's always going to be people there understanding what you're doing and wanting to help you to do it. And so for me, I think I'm a person who's very good at, at hiding what really needs to transform or what's really a big problem in my life at certain times. Like my false self is very slippery. And so I needed that kind of regular engagement where people were watching me on a weekly or, multi, or multi-weekly basis um, trying to get things done and seeing what was coming up as my patterns of avoidance or resistance so that they could point out those blind spots to me and equally so they could share with me 
what were the really beautiful things about how I did my work in the world? What were the, the incredible parts of who I am that I couldn't see myself because for me, they're just my normal. And so community felt deeply intrinsic to my process, certainly, as it sounds like it was for, for yours as well, uh, for both of yours. And I guess the other aspect of community that really supported me looking back now was the way in which when, the more you invest in a community and a vision of a community that's no, not rooted in the master narrative of our culture, that's not rooted in these, these stories of um, separation, the more you're, you actually are invested enough to truly believe in a community that's founded on principles of oneness and togetherness and supporting our unique genius and that no one is disposable and that we're all here to bring our authenticity in a way that serves life, the more that you're false, you feel safe to actually let your false self go. Because in a sense, the false self is created not just to protect ourselves as children from our family, but also to protect ourselves within the world, within a world that supports the lie of separation so that we can survive and, and keep protected our unique gifts while still, you know, keep putting on a good face and continuing to do what humans are expected to do as contemporary Western people. And so for me, the community is what allowed me to actually spend more time than not in my authenticity as my false self was falling away. And so we're reaching the end. That went really fast, but I'd, I would love to hear from both of you if there's any message you would give to people that are thinking about joining the teachings, taking that first little step of doing masks of illusion and the authentic self. We can start with you, Kate. Well, it's such an engaging journey to be on. And it truly is life-changing in that, and you know, that may sound cliche and it's true. I think that the ability to change what you see as capable or possible, I guess is what I meant, um, is, is really profound going through the four years plus the bonus year. And that for me, you know, I, I walked into the cycle feeling like I didn't have good vision and couldn't see possibilities and couldn't manifest anything I wanted in my life. And all of that has shifted for me with so much richness along the way in terms of what's been cultivated and the support in ordinary reality and non-ordinary reality that's been cultivated as well along the way. And so I just... For me, I would emphasize that 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 expansion of what's possible is is pretty incredible, and and uh, um, yeah, heart opening and awe inspiring. <laughs> and I, I would agree, certainly agree with everything Kate just said, but um, I also found. I mean, I went into the cycle thinking, okay, I'm going to heal these ancestors so they'll stop bothering me. And I had no idea of how um, this, this cycle would impact 
every aspect of my life and um, every decision I make and almost, you know, how I move through my day and how I move through the world and um, my ability to, um, to be a person who I never anticipated I could be. Uh, I, I think people who are looking at this cycle, that the amazing thing is you don't know what's waiting. You don't know what's there. And going in with open curiosity and an open heart and a, to learn to trust uh, and to know the support and guidance is there. And you will learn how to access it and how to accept it and how to allow yourself to ask for help and to be present in the world and to receive help. Um, it's way beyond anything I ever anticipated when I first agreed to begin the cycle. Um, and I, I have to say, I, many times, my only regret is that I wasn't 30 years younger and I could have brought this to my child-rearing years and, and brought this in uh, earlier in my life and what uh, the idea of what my life um, may have held for me. It, it, and the, the wonder of it is that I encourage younger people to really dive in and do this and, and get rid of all that junk and then be open to the rest of your life. Um, uh, my gratitude is great for having completed this, um, the, the cycle and to be in this community at this time and to be able to live out the rest of my life in, the, in a new and exciting way. But, um, boy, it, it would have been great um, to have had it sooner. <laughs> um, and I, But now I have grandchildren who I open to this the kind of living that I'm doing. And, and I see them respond. And I see them uh, being part of the natural world in a way that I was never encouraged to be. And so it, whatever, wherever you are in your life, there's always something to, to learn and to gain and to share and to bring forth your gifts into the world. The world is needing everyone's gifts now. I would, it would be a lot harder to be in the world right now without the perspective and the tools offered through this. And, you know, just given where we're at right now. So I'm also really grateful to have gone through this now so that I do have this perspective and these tools to help me face our world that we're living in right now. Thank you. Thank you both. Um, yeah, so Masks of Illusion and the Authentic Self is June 2nd to 7th this year, 2019, at El Rancho Robles in Oracle, Arizona. And you can register at lastmaskcenter.org. It's right on the homepage of the website, the registration, if you just scroll down a little bit. So let us remember that in each moment, we have the power to choose change. And may we all remember our heart song and remember why we are here. We thank the earth below, the sky above, and the heart that unites us all. Thank you, everyone. Have a great week.